my wife and I have attended most of the Amen conferences for the last 16 years. Miss maybe one or two, but it has been really a delight. And I think the thing that we enjoy the most is the fellowship that we have with godly physicians, godly dentists and medical personnel who inspire us to achieve the very best we can be in our own lives. Each time we come, there's some new insight, some spiritual gem, some physical principles that we learn that are best for our health. So amen has become really something that's really a part of our very lives. And it's something that we look forward to every single year. One of the things that I would really encourage is a lot more pastors to attend because I think the interface of pastors and physicians and dentists working together is part of God's plan for this final and last generation. The theme of this year's conference is a touch of faith. And it's really based on the biblical story of a hopeless, desperate, disease-plagued woman who reaches out and touches the hem of Christ's garment and finds healing. In that story, we find great spiritual lessons. And we're going to open the Word of God and study that tonight. But before we do, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so incredibly thankful that you have called us in this last generation to reach out and touch others with your grace. We feel unworthy, we feel inadequate, but we're thankful for the grace of Jesus. We're thankful that you've redeemed us and that you've redeemed us for a purpose, not simply for us to be in heaven, but for us to lead others to know your grace so they can be there too. So Father, I pray thee that you would take this message and use it to touch hearts and change lives. In Christ's name, amen. Sickness is debilitating, not only to the mind, but also it plays, not only to, to the body rather, but it also plays havoc with our minds. When we're sick, it's much easier to get discouraged much easier to become depressed. Have you ever been sick for a week? What about two weeks? How do you feel at the end of a week or two weeks if you've been really sick? Often your spirits are not what they are normally. During the COVID-19 pandemic, many of those infected with the disease reported overwhelming physical symptoms, such as a raging fever, followed by chills, intense muscle pain, a persistent cough, shortness of breath. They've experienced at times a sore throat. Some have experienced violent headaches or fatigue. One victim said, I felt like I was drowning. I could not breathe. Somebody else added, nights were horrible. My temperature would rise. My body would burn with fever. Then suddenly I would shake with the chills. But worst of all, I felt so alone. 
in isolation. One of the tragic things about COVID-19 is that it has been so infectious that many people who suffered alone in hospitals or on ventilators could not have their loved ones visit them. They have suffered through that very difficult time in isolation by themselves, tragically. Some people even died in hospitals alone, isolated from their families. And in some instances, their families could not even attend their funerals. It's incredibly difficult if to suffer in the advanced stages of coronavirus or any disease for weeks, months, and then die alone. But what if, what if you were in constant pain? What if you were considered an outcast? What if you were separated from your family or friends year after year? The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke record the story of a desperate, hopeless woman who suffered for 12 years, 12 long, sorrowful years. Now, to get the impact of this story, it's important to understand its setting. And if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. And here in Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9, there are nine separate miracles that are mentioned. Now, these nine miracles are in groups of three. There are three triads of these miracles. The first triad of miracles in Matthew chapter 8, going on to chapter 9, and remember, there are nine miracles in sequence. And to understand our story tonight, the story of the woman who touches the hem of Christ's garment, who's been sick for 12 years, it's important to have the setting of these nine miracles. Now, the first three miracles are the story of the healing of the leper, the healing of the centurion's servant, and the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Each of these stories reveal Christ's power over disease. There's something else about these stories that's significant, and let's think about these first three miracles, because there's a common theme. The leper was an outcast. The centurion was an enemy of Israel, and Peter's mother-in-law as a woman in that society, had no status at all. So the first three miracles tell us this, that Jesus reached out to those that were excluded and excluded them, that he included them rather in his love and grace. So Jesus took those that were excluded and he included them in his love and his grace. The first three miracles speak to us really in trumpet tones. They speak about a Christ that cared for the marginalized, a Christ that cared for the outcast, a Christ that cared for the rejected. The first three miracles call us to reach out to those that are passed by, those that the world neglects. Is there somebody within your sphere of influence that's lonely? 
that's isolated, that feels neglected, that's marginalized. A single mother whose husband has, has divorced her, who used to be part of the social circle that you are in, but now it's all couples and she's isolated and alone. The marginalized, a lonely teenager who comes to church by himself because his parents are not Adventist Christians and sits there alone and has to go home after church only to hear the television blaring, but longs for somebody to tap him on the shoulder and invite him home for lunch. The lonely widow who's moved to your community with her husband and they've bought their dream home but yet he has died of a heart attack and this 78 year old woman sits there on her porch in the rocking chair watching others go by just wishing that somebody would come with the touch of grace to her home or the unemployed worker who feels uncomfortable they can't pay their bills any longer. The self-sacrificing ministry of Christ is not some ethereal thing. It's practical. Faith is so good that it works. It leads us to care for those who are desperate for hope. This is genuine Christianity. The faith of Jesus leads us to care for others as Jesus cared for them. The first three miracles teach us to reach out to the marginalized, the outcast, those that are lonely and alone. But the second three miracles, Jesus demonstrates his power over nature in the first miracle when he calms a thunderous storm on the Sea of Galilee. He demonstrates his power over demons when he delivers the demoniacs. He, de he demonstrates his power over sin and sickness when he heals the paralytic. Now there is a common thread in these miracle stories and it's this. Whether we are facing the worst disaster from without, whether we are facing demons from within, whether we are tormented by those demons, or whether it is the ravages of disease, those next three miracles teach us that Jesus is Lord over all. There is no situation that we face that Jesus is not prepared to handle. One of my favorite statements is found in a little book called Steps to Christ on page 100. It says this, no calamity can befall the least of his children. No anxiety harass the soul. No joy cheer. No sincere prayer escape the lips of which our heavenly father is unobservant or in which he takes no immediate interest. He heals the broken in heart and binds up their wounds. The relations between God and each soul are as full and distinct as though there were not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care, not another soul for whom he gave his only beloved son. Those three miracles teach us that whatever we face in life, Jesus 
is our Lord of all. We are not left alone to struggle with the challenges of life. Jesus is Lord over every disaster that may suddenly afflict us, that may unexpectedly burst upon us. He's Lord over every temptation. He's Lord over every attack of the enemy. He's over every demonic harassment of the evil one. He is Lord over every affliction, every sickness, every disease. He is there in the midst of whatever the devil throws at us. And Jesus is there to encourage us. I love that old song. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, just when I need him most. In the first three miracles, the common theme, the common thread is simply this. Jesus cares for the isolated and the alone. He cares for the marginalized. In the second three miracles, Jesus is Lord over all. There is no disaster that you can face in your life that he is incapable of handling. Now, in the last three miracles, Jesus heals two women, two blind men, and a speech-impaired man. The theme of these miracles is significant, and it is placed last for a reason. The theme of these miracles is the power of life-giving, life-changing, life-transformational faith. It is best illustrated in the last of these miracles, the miracle of the woman who touches the hem of Christ's garment. It's found in Matthew 9, Mark 5, and Luke 8. Now, there is a reason why that this story is found in all three of these Gospels. It has unusual significance. If you have your Bibles, take them please and turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. As we re review this amazing story of a woman who has this hemorrhaging for 12 years. The scripture says in Matthew, the ninth chapter, and you're letting your eyes drop down there to the 20th verse. The scripture says, and suddenly, a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. What is the significance that this woman had this flow of blood for 12 years? What's that significant? She hemorrhaged continually. Her clothes were stained with this continual stream of blood. She was tired, worn out, emaciated, and weak. But worst of all, she could no longer experience the warm embrace of her husband. She was considered unclean. She could no longer hug her children. Her kids could no longer jump up on her lap and say, Mommy, I love you. She wandered for 12 long years, bleeding. Hair disheveled, blood-stained garments, dirty, wandering the streets. Now, Mark's gospel adds this interesting insight in Mark chapter 5. This woman was discouraged. She was depressed. She was desperate. 
She wanted to be well. She longed for healing. She searched for a cure, but nothing seemed to work. Notice Mark's gospel, Mark the fifth chapter. Let's turn over to it. Verse 25 and verse 26. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 and 26. It says, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, verse 25, and it suffered many things from many physicians. They had not come to an amen conference. She suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had. Their fees were high and was no better, but rather only she got worse. The very ones that were supposed to help her only caused more harm. The scripture says she suffered many things from many physicians. The cures they offered only made her worse. She spent all her family's hard-earned money, their hard-earned savings, but they were quack cures. She was, des- she was not only desperate, but hopeless. She was not only discouraged, but she was in total despair. Darkness filled her soul. She spent her money on these physicians only to be worse off. Then she met the master physician. Then she met Jesus. A huge crowd surrounded the Savior as he slowly made his way over that cobblestone, narrow, rocky path. The crowd surrounded him, but he saw her. Jesus picks out of the crowd those that are desperate. Jesus picks out of the crowd those that are hopeless. Jesus picks out of the crowd those that are needy. Before she ever sought him, his heart was seeking her. Before she ever took one step toward him, he kept edging his way over in that crowd to get closer and closer and closer to her. This poor woman wondered if she would ever get near enough to Jesus. Because the crowd was so dense around him. She wondered. He healed others. Would he heal her? And in Mark chapter 5 verse 28. We read almost. You can almost hear the desperation. In this woman's thought. She says to herself. Verse 28. If only I may touch his clothes. I shall be made well. If only. Now the Gospel of Luke also records this story. Now Luke was a physician. And by their very nature, physicians are very specific and detailed. They keep good notes. And so the physician Luke kept very good notes and he wrote them down in his Gospel. And he gives us a case history of this woman. We find it in Luke chapter 8 and verse 43. Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Notice what Luke adds here. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians. So she's penniless. He says she spent all her livelihood. She did not have more, any more money. She's desperate on physicians. She could not be healed by any. There was no human source for healing. None. No human source for healing. She comes behind and touches the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus says, who touched me? Now the word for healed here, used in this Bible passage, is the same word for therapy. It's therapuo. And so the scripture says she is looking for this method of healing. She wants some therapy. 
but she can find no therapy. There is no cure. Nothing that she tried worked. Jesus was her last and Jesus was her only hope. In a sense, every single one of us are like this desperate woman. We may search for spiritual cures for the guilt and shame and condemnation in our lives. We may search for something that will give us power over the disease of sin. In a sense, every one of us have a disease that is fatal and incurable until by faith we touch Jesus. For he is the only one that has the solution to the sin problem. No therapy could be found for her. Nothing that she tried worked. Jesus was her last and only hope. If he could not help her, she was doomed to a life of constant pain and continual sickness. She pressed her way through the crowd. There may be somebody watching tonight on Three Angels Broadcasting. You have lost all hope. There is incredible good news for you. There is a physician in the house. The master physician, Jesus Christ, wants to touch your life with his healing grace and transform you tonight. Just as this woman touched Jesus by faith, you can reach out tonight and touch Jesus by faith. She searched for it. She spent all her life savings to find the magic cure. And her response is the typical response of many people today when they face some debilitating disease. They're desperate to find something, anything that'll cure the disease. Every patient wants something to cure their illness, anything that'll bring relief. They're desperate for a cure, whether it's a pill or some other kind of medication. Modern medicine focuses on diagnosing and treating disease. But Jesus focuses on something much more. Jesus focuses on making people whole, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. The ministry of Christ goes far beyond physical healing as significant as that is. As this woman comes near Christ, Luke puts it so well in his physician's notes in Luke chapter 8. He puts it so beautifully. Luke the 8th chapter. And notice Luke's words, it says, she comes behind and touches the border of his garment. Verse 44, Luke 8. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus says, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press you and you say, who touched me? Don't miss that. Jesus can distinguish the touch of faith from the brush of the multitudes. There can be millions all around and you kneel by your bed and cry out to Jesus in faith and he distinguishes that touch of faith. You know, it's possible to pray casually and get little help. It's, it's possible to have formal religion and get little help. It's, it's possible to have an external form of religion and get little help. But this woman was desperate. She knew that if Jesus did not help her, there was no help. And she reached out to Jesus 
in the concentrated faith of her life. In the book, Ministry of Healing, I read this, this remarkable statement. As he, Jesus, was passing by, she reached forward and succeeded in barely touching the border of his garment. That moment, she knew she was healed. In that one touch was concentrated the faith of her life, and instantly her pain and feebleness disappeared. Instantly, she felt the thrill of an electric current passing through the fiber of her being. There came over her a sensation of perfect health. Imagine it. She reaches out. She touches the hem of his garment. And the healing power of Christ flows through her body. And she's healed. In that one touch was the faith of her life. Coming to Christ. We come with a, a small seed of faith that he's placed in our hearts but we touch Jesus and there flows into our life forgiveness and grace and mercy and power now notice she comes with faith where did this poor desperate woman get this faith what was the origin of this faith where did this faith come from in the first place? In fact, who was drawing this woman to Jesus before she ever knew it? Before she ever realized what was taking place, the Holy Spirit was drawing this poor, helpless woman to Jesus. He sought her before she ever sought him. Now, this is a critical point. It may seem very simple, but before any one of us take one step toward Jesus, he is reaching out toward us. He is the one that took the initiative to draw this woman to himself, and he is the one that puts within our hearts the Holy Spirit to draw us to him. Now that drawing power is not something that takes place once when we initially come to Christ. Every single day, the Spirit of God is working in our hearts to draw us closer and still closer to Jesus. Every desire for spirituality that we have comes because the Spirit is working in our life. Every inclination to pray is divinely implanted by the Holy Spirit. Every inclination to read the Bible is divinely implanted by the Holy Spirit. Every inclination to serve is divinely implanted by the Holy Spirit. So day by day, the Spirit of God is working in our hearts and lives to draw us to Him. Now, where did this woman get this faith? Where did that faith come from? You know, Jesus was looking for this poor, helpless woman before she ever looked for him. But, you know, there's an amazing passage in Romans, the 12th chapter in the third verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. What is the origin of all faith? And where does faith come from? Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. And we read it there. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dwelt to each one a measure of faith. 
So where do we get faith? Who puts faith in our heart? Is faith something that we work up in our heart? Not at all. So the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit places within our heart a seed of faith. As we exercise the faith that God already puts in our heart, our faith grows. So Jesus longs for us to exercise the faith that he has put in our hearts already. And what might Jesus do to enable us to grow that faith? Sometimes he allows challenges to come into our lives. Sometimes he allows us to face problems. Sometimes he allows us to face difficulties. Why? Because as we exercise the faith that he has placed in our hearts, that faith grows and we have much, much greater confidence in him. Now this disease-ridden woman was amazed as Jesus spoke to her because nobody ever addressed her like that before. In Luke chapter 8, verse 48, Jesus speaks to this woman. And the way Jesus speaks to her is filled with tenderness and kindness and graciousness. Luke chapter 8, verse 48, how gracious Jesus is. Not only does he heal this woman, but he says to her in Luke 8, verse 48, and he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Daughter, he doesn't say woman he doesn't say, you there with those dirty bloodstained clothes, Jesus' daughter. He calls her a daughter of God. When we come to Christ and the Holy Spirit changes our lives, we become sons and daughters of God. Jesus says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. She was not some nameless face in the crowd. She was not some human statistic. She was a child of God. Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. Now what is faith? What is faith? We might define faith as trusting God. We might define faith though further as this way. Faith is believing what God says to be true. Amen. Faith is believing his word, accepting his promises, and faith is acting upon what God says. This poor helpless woman believed, then she saw. That is faith. She believed, then she saw. She did not see, then believe. If we wait to see, we will never believe. But if we believe, God will make our believing sight. In Romans chapter 4, verse 17, there is one of the most remarkable verses on this in the New Testament. Romans 4, verse 17. Now the point that we are studying is this. If we wait to see, we will never believe. But if we believe, then God will give us sight. Romans 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, speaking about Abraham, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead. Can God give life to the dead? He sure can. And calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Now this is an extremely strange passage. How can God call the things that do not exist as though they did. Well, how could God say that to, to, to Abraham and Sarah? Sarah's room was barren. 
but God said she was with child. How could God say something that was not yet reality? Because when God says it, it is reality because God's creative word creates that which God declares. See, my word is a declarative word. I can say what is. God can say what is not, and what is not becomes what is, because when God says it, it becomes what is, because the power of God's word is a creative word. Simply because what God says is reality, because he has in it the power to accomplish it. That's what faith is all about. The belief that God is well able to accomplish what he says, even if we do not see it, understand it, or feel it's possible. Faith is not about seeing, it's about believing. Faith is not even about understanding, it's about grasping God's promises when we do not understand. Faith is not about feeling, it's about trusting. Now let me make this practical. When Jesus says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive them. We may feel guilty, but our faith transcends our feeling and we believe that God does what he says and we claim that promise and we're forgiven. Guilt is gone. When, God, when Jesus says, my God shall supply all your need, Philippians 4.19, we may feel incredibly needy, but we trust the promises of God and our faith becomes sight and Jesus supplies our need. When Jesus says, perfect love casts out fear, 1 John 4.8, recognizing our fears, acknowledging our fears. We release them in Jesus' name to the one who will never leave us or forsake us, to the one that says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. We grasp the reality of the promise that you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you, Isaiah 26.3. And then we are released from fear. Why? Not because we do not feel fear, but because fear no longer paralyzes us because Jesus says perfect love casts out fear. The promises of God grasped by faith bring within to our lives the reality of the divine presence of Christ. When Jesus says, but as many as I received him, to them gave he the right or the power to become the sons of God. John 1 verse 12, I may feel weak, I may feel inadequate, but grasping the promise of God by faith, the, the word of God, which is a living word, not a dead word, which is a creative word, enters my life and transforms me into the image of Christ when I accept his word by faith. Now, I love to read biographies, and I love to read the stories of, of mission. And two of the great Christian heroes were... Uh, Adariah Judson and Hudson Taylor. Now, Hudson Taylor staked everything on the plain words of Jesus. He grasped this promise, Whosoever, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. He believed as Jesus taught. And here's one thing that uh, Hudson Taylor wrote. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. He's too wise a God to frustrate his purposes for lack of funds and he can just as easily bring them to us before we, before we need them than after we need them. You know, Hudson Taylor was a, a tremendous, powerful missionary. He, one day, as he was in China, he was a missionary to China, and one day in China, Hudson Taylor ran out of 
foreseeable funds. He had enough money to eat, but he had no funds to fund his mission. And he wrote to a friend this way, we have 27 cents in all the promises of God. Don't you like that? We've got 27 cents in all the promises of God. Adariah Judson was, was in a prison. You know, faith makes great optimists. Faith makes great optimists. On one occasion, Judson's in prison in Burma. He's got 32 pounds of chains on his legs and ankles. His feet are bound to a bamboo pole. And with a sneer on his face, a fellow prisoner says, Dr. Judson, what's the prospect of the conversion of the heathen? His instant reply was this. The prospects are just as bright as the promises of God. Faith is trusting the word of God. Faith is trusting that God is going to do what God has promised. And that is exactly what this woman did. She felt the drawing of the spirit. She saw Christ and sensed that he could heal her. She reached out in faith to him. What challenge are you facing in your medical practice tonight? What challenge are you facing in your family as a physician, as a dentist? What challenge are you facing in your health that nobody else may know about? What challenge are you facing in building a new medical practice? What challenge are you facing as a medical student? There is still a healer. The promises of God are still real. And you can grasp them by faith and watch the miracle-working power of God energize and strengthen your life. In Luke chapter 8, verse 48, as Jesus performs this marvelous miracle of healing, he makes a statement that is at the end of that verse 48. Luke 8, verse 48. And at the end of the verse, the beginning of the verse, Jesus says, daughter, she is a child of God, be of good cheer. That's what Christ says to every one of us tonight. Don't live in fear, weakness, worry, anxiety. Jesus speaks and he says, be of good cheer. And at the end of that verse, Jesus says, your faith, your faith, you've grasped the reality of the miracle working power of the living Christ has made you well go in peace. You know that word well there in the New Testament is used 110 times in the New Testament. 92 of those times it's used for salvation. Now her faith grasped the reality of his divinity. In his loving mercy he revealed his grace to this desperate hopeless woman he made her well again. And physically, and mentally, and spiritually, she was made whole. Now when Christ touches us with healing grace, he touches us for a purpose. Not only so we will be redeemed, but by his grace and power, we will go out and touch others with the healing grace of Christ. Jesus sends us out as healers in a broken world, as Jesus came 2,000 years ago and the earth was lightened with his glory. Do you remember 
what the angels sang in Luke chapter 2. When Christ is born, they sing glory to God in the highest peace and goodwill to men on earth. The angels sing glory to God in the highest. Christ had come. The glory of God would be revealed in a sin-sick, defiled, degenerate, desperate world. In the last days of earth's history, once again an angel comes down from heaven. Revelation 18 verse 1, I saw another angel come down from heaven with a loud voice and the earth was lightened with his glory of God. Once again, God will have the men and women that are touched by grace, charmed by love, transformed by his power, that will go out and the earth will be filled with the glory of self-sacrificial love. The New Testament Christianity was characterized by the love that these early Christians had one for the other. You remember John 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Early Christianity was based on that love that transformed men and women's hearts. There's a new book that's been written that's really worth reading by Rodney Stark. It's called The Rise of Christianity. And in that book... He talks about two major pandemics, one that took place in 160 AD and another that took place from 250 to 270. It was a pandemic that took place for 20 years. We hope COVID-19 doesn't last that long. We need a vaccine quick. But look, for 20 years, this pandemic took place. 5,000 people a day were dying in this pandemic. Now, the interesting thing about Starkey's book, he has a chapter in it called Survival Rates and the Golden Rule. Survival Rates and the Golden Rule. And he, he, they, he, they've discovered um, some manuscripts written by Dionysus. Now, not Dionysus the Agrabite in the book of uh, Acts, but Dionysus of Alexandria. And Alexandria, Dionysus wrote... And in these original manuscripts, and, and I have sections of these manuscripts here that I want to read to you. Why is it that New Testament Christianity grew so incredibly powerfully? Why? Notice, here's Dionysus writing of the contrast between the Christians and the pagans during that pandemic. The glory of God came down. Notice, here's what Dionysus says. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick. They attended to their every need and ministered to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives. And he talks about how these Christians would go out, minister selflessly, lovingly, kindly, compassionately to the sick. And how that was such a revelation of God's love that thousands of pagans, tens of thousands became Christians. Now look, he then writes, the heathen pagans behaved in the very opposite way. 
at the first onset of the disease. They pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated the unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. Tertullian writes, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. There will be, in the last days of earth's history, a generation that God raises up, that are filled with his love, that reach out in self-sacrificial service to touch others with his grace and goodness and his mercy. And as men and women see individuals coming to them with no thought of personal gain, with no self-aggrandizement, that are not looking for power or prestige or money, but they serve for service sake, they serve for love's sake. It's not medical mercenary work, but it's medical missionary work. They come in grace and love to touch somebody, to pray with somebody, to open the Bible with somebody, like Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor wrote a letter, February 14, 1860, and Hudson Taylor said this, if I had a thousand pounds, that's British currency, a thousand pounds in 1860 would be $160,000. He said, if I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do enough for such a precious savior? Jesus Amen. is speaking to somebody's heart tonight. There is somebody watching this broadcast that you have never surrendered your life to this living Christ. You can touch the hem of his garment tonight and his healing grace can flow into your life and you can be changed. He'll say to you, my son, my daughter, come, come unto me all you that are burdened and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. There's somebody listening tonight. Maybe you're a physician, maybe you're a dentist. Maybe you're a medical student, but you've been playing games with religion. But tonight you hear the call of Jesus. You hear the call for something deeper. A faith that grasps the promises of God and changes your life. And tonight, there may be somebody here. You've been getting up in the morning and going into your office and coming home at night. And that's been about it. But you hear the call of the Savior. You hear the call of love. You hear the call of self-sacrificial service. And just now, wherever you are, you want to bow your head and say, Jesus, I want more than a superficial religion. I want something deep and lasting and satisfying. I want to give my life for the one who gave his life for me. I want to live a life of commitment because I know that the deepest joy comes in self-sacrificial service. Would you just now 
open your heart as I pray. Father in heaven, we feel the stirring of the spirit tonight. You've touched us. This is no common meeting. This is no ordinary meeting. The glory of God that filled earth when Jesus came once is going to fill the earth again as the spirit fills believers who go out and touch the world with your glory. Father, fill our lives with your grace and goodness. Help us to sense in the light of the cross no sacrifice is too great. Lord, you've given so much to us. We give our lives to you. And Lord, that's an adventure. Lead us on the adventure, the journey, the excitement, the thrill of leading others to you. And one day in a land called glory and a place called heaven, may we rejoice around your throne with those that we've had the privilege of touching with your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.